Webster, and today on Living in the Pages, I speak with the lovely Julia Whalen. We discuss English immersion, her narrating career, and playing such a great character, Grace Annie. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I've uh, been in the booth already today recording, but um, other than that, I'm okay. I want to hear about your narrating. Oh, sure. What's it like? Do you love it? I do. I do love it. I um, I mean, I've been a reader my whole life, and this is just kind of the perfect job for me. So, um, yes, it's a it's a great thing. I love Gone Girl. Oh. I did not know you even did this until I read your note in my Oxford year. Oh, yeah. So. Well, first of all, Gone Girl is amazing. Yes. Um, and I that was probably one of the most enjoyable few days I've ever had oh my word, in the I booth bet. recording that character. Mm-hmm. So much fun. Such a great book. Oh, so good. Well, I just finished my Oxford year yesterday. Oh, wow. Yes. And it's been a long time since I've loved a book this much. Oh, thank you. And I rarely say that. <laughs> oh, so thank you. I loved it, loved it, loved it. It's smart, well-written, just so beautiful. That means a lot to me. Thank you. You're welcome. Can you tell us how you came to write the story? Sure. So this story has a pretty different origin than most. Um, I was a creative writing major in college, and I was always intending to write fiction. But in the meantime, I have been doing a lot of screenplay work because I was a child actor. I grew up in the business, and that's just, I think, the way that I conceive of stories mostly. Mm -hmm. And through that screenwriting work, I was actually hired to work on a screenplay that was set in Oxford about an American girl who goes to England and falls in love with a terminally ill professor. Mm -hmm. And through the process of working on that screenplay, when it was set up at a studio and kind of, you know, shaping it and bringing my own feelings to it and what I thought the story could be, I had to leave a lot kind of on the cutting room floor. There was just a a lot of that story that would not fit into a screenplay. Mm. And the wonderful people involved in the production asked me at a certain point, I think probably out of frustration with some of my notes, (laughs) if I would be interested in writing a novel based on this kind of nascent story. And so I jumped at the opportunity because I just had a lot that I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how this book came to be born. It's a big story to take on and it it's obvious that so much time and care was put in the research and it almost feels like you would have had to live there for a while to get all of that in. I know you visited there but did you spend an extensive time there? I spent my junior year abroad in Oxford so I I did have my own Oxford year (laughs) and that was 10 years ago now so in many ways this was just a returning to this place that I love and probably the only place I've ever really felt at home. Mm. So I do have a deep affection for that city and it's just kind of in my bones at this point. But in terms of during the writing process, no, this happened very quickly. I was still holding down my full-time job of audiobook narrating and I could not untether myself from my booth and go just sit in Oxford the way I wanted to. 
somewhere between the first and second draft. I think I, I managed to get over there. I was visiting friends in London and I managed to get up there for just two days to just make sure that nothing had changed in a way that was going to screw up everything I'd written. Mm-hmm. But that was the extent of my visiting. I wish that you could live there because I feel your love for it so much. No, I wish <laughs> I could live there too. Trust me. I've tried to, I've, I've tried to figure that out. How could I possibly make that work? At this point, I feel like what I really want to do is now give like my Oxford year tours mm. in Oxford. That's what I want to do. Yeah, you totally should. Do you live on the West Coast? Yeah, so it's it's particularly far. Yeah. I had never been to London until this past February and I fell hard Ugh. for it. But man, this made me want to go to Oxford so bad. Well, it's a very easy day trip from, from London. I always tell people that you, you know, you can just head up in the morning, catch the bus right out of Notting Hill Gate and be there in an hour and a half and have a full day. And it's, it's really, it's really Mm. worth seeing it. Next time. Do it. Are you working on any other books right now? Is this something you see yourself doing more of? Definitely. I'm actually in the process of, um, I just started work on a second book, got an outline and finally just started in on the first chapter. So it's, it's happening, um, slowly. Like I said, there's just, uh, there's the day job, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. How much time do you usually put into narrating and how long does it take you to write a book? (laughs) Well, (sighs) like I said, because they were trying to get the film into development at the time, we were sort of in many ways racing uh, mm. the film production timeline, and I still beat it, Good. which I'm very happy Good about. Good for you. But it happened fast. That whole book happened in about a year of just writing, and then mm-hmm. the entire publication process took about another year and a half. But I, uh, for me, I narrate about 70 books a year. Wow. So, you know, every day it's a, it's, I basically work from, I would say, 10 in the morning until six or seven at night in the booth doing about a hundred pages a day Mm. or so, you know, and every book is different. Some are more challenging logistically, technically, Mm -hmm. but that's about the average. Wow. I had no idea. That's so fun. I love that. I came into this book blind, as you can see, and I didn't realize that you were an actress on the show that my mom and I used to watch together once and again. Yeah. Yeah. So I have good memories with my mom, who's now passed, of watching that show. And yeah, I told my husband this morning, she would be so excited that I'm talking to a character from that. I do love that. Especially you. I do. I love how many mothers and daughters watched that show. Mm -hmm. That's a kind of common thing that I see a lot of when people tell me, they're like, I used to watch that show with my mom. And I don't know exactly why that show. I think Um, it was just, it was a real look, a glimpse at mother-daughter relationships that are not just perfect (laughs) yeah complicated and you know I liked it oh good how was that experience working on the show well that was a wonderful show I mean I it definitely spoiled me for other projects and part of the reason that I I left because that was high school for me and part of the reason that I left the business and went to college was because I just wasn't seeing anything else that could come close to the writing, the character work. I mean, mm-hmm. for me as a, you know, 16, 17 year old actress to be able to do these things that they were giving me every week mm-hmm. um, and not just be, you know, a cheerleader yeah, or right. wallpaper. Like I actually had something to do and it was really uh, disillusioning when I came out of that bubble, that lovely bubble of smart, supportive, intelligent people and 
being like, oh, my Mm -hmm. God, the stuff that's actually out there for 18 year old women is horrific. So I I, I was like, peace, I'm out. I'll catch you in like four (laughs) years. I'll try again. I don't blame you because Grace Manning was a very smart character and it had to be hard already to kind of grow up on screen. I don't even want to imagine what that was like, but how was that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a there was a lot of it that was horrible, but I was also intensely private. I never really did the publicity rounds. I definitely was not a part of young Hollywood. I, I was always just studying and reading. And so I avoided a lot of it, but it was still, it was it was difficult in many ways, but I think about now and what these kids go through with social media and everyone having access to you. Right. And to me, that's truly, I mean, I don't know. We'll see how, it, you know, child actors don't necessarily have the best reputation for surviving right. yeah. this business, they but don't. I think it's only going to get worse because this is truly damaging to a young psyche to have people think that they have this kind of access to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was already bad enough for me just getting like snail mail letters to the network. Um, this is a, this is different. Wow. So yeah. (laughs) Has it changed at all for you since coming out with this book? Like, are you getting more recognized and more feedback on social media? I am, but the feedback on social media is really lovely. I mean, people who are moved to reach out to me to say what this book meant to them has been really overwhelmingly positive. And I think that there is something that feels more manageable. First of all, I'm not 16 anymore. I'm my own person. I, mm-hmm. I can handle interaction better. Yes. But I also, um, I think also having kind of a, a product, like a, a piece of art between me and the consumer that it's not just me mm-hmm. helps because I can step back and say, well, thanks. I really like the book too. I think <laughs> you liked it. So that's good. But I, it's funny. I was actually, a friend of mine sent me I forget how this happened, but sent me a link to a YouTube episode because the third season like exists nowhere once and again. And they sent me a link to an episode that I hadn't seen in 10 years. And this was right before the book was coming out. And I was realizing how much, I mean, that character, Grace was a, was a writer and she Mm -hmm. was in the third season, you know, she was kind of getting involved with the the teacher character, the yep. English teacher with the poetry and he writes poetry and the whole, and I was sitting back there going, how did, I feel like this just slipped somewhere into my hmm. unconscious and it's taken a decade to, or 15 years now at this point to come out. Like I just, it, it was shocking to me. That's so cool. Yeah. You were being groomed. I was. For dear. <laughs> groomed. Crazy. Where do you find time to pursue all the different projects you're involved in? I mean, at this point, I think I've hit a wall recently where I just, I don't know if it's age or what it is, but I definitely feel that something's got to give because for a long time I've been very work focused and I would just prioritize that and everything else kind of personal fell to the wayside and I'm just not, I'm not feeling that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it has to do with I think writing works best for me as a practice that I just get up in the morning, five o'clock and I just write. I don't know what your process is, but that seems to be the only thing that really reliably works for me because I don't have to engage with anything yet. I can just get the words on the page and then go into the booth and, you know, I should do fewer hours a day in the booth. But there are so (laughs) many good books out there and they come to me and they say, do you want to read them? And I say, (laughs) yeah. Well, that was my next question. If writing was part of your daily life and 
And I wonder um, what you do, like when the words aren't coming, how you decompress and maybe for you it's going in the booth. Yes, that helps. I, I think I need something else though, because part of the part of the problem when I first graduated, my intention was, you know, I was editing, I was revising a novel and stories that I'd written in college for my thesis, and I was starting other writing projects. And then when I really started getting into audiobooks, I found that it was just too difficult to bounce between someone else's narrative voice mm. and performing that and kind of inhabiting that and then bouncing back out to the voice of the project I was working that would on. Be difficult. Was just too jarring. So I actually think if anything I need I need a break from books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to find oh, I need to gasp. find something that doesn't involve books. <laughs> that would be nice. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of again, I think I'm in the process right now of finding that balance because you just, you can't be in it all the time. And I know authors who, you know, will say, well, when I'm drafting, especially that first draft, I can't be reading Mm -hmm. certainly not in my genre, but you know, prose, if if, if at all. Yeah. And I just don't have that luxury of, you know, for swearing books. So for me, it's, um, I'm trying to figure out that balance. Right. But Uh. when the words just aren't coming to answer that first question, when the words just aren't coming, I don't have any sort of problem with writing things linearly. Mm-hmm. So I just skip okay. and jump ahead to the thing I really want to write. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just that activity of writing something that may be 30 or 40 pages ahead makes me realize what needs to happen. And I think the other thing is the one thing that I learned from uh, my Oxford year is that if there's something that I'm having trouble writing, sometimes you have to ask yourself if it's necessary. Yeah, that's a hard one. Because almost all of the times when I forced myself to just, this is important to the story, you have to write this, I would, and I ended up eclipsing it and deleting it Hmm. and finding another way around it. Interesting. Yeah. How many drafts did you go through with that book? I I don't, I mean. So many. I don't know, 10, 12. I I really don't know. Oh my goodness. That's why it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I loved all the side characters. I mean, I obviously loved the love story. It was beautiful and all that, but her friends were so funny and I could totally picture each one. Thank you. I love them too. A very early reader of the book said, I really want to see like the prequel of these people. Yes. The, of Charlie, Maggie and Tom in their freshman year <laughs> at Oxford. <laughs> yes. They were so great. And even Ridley, mm, mm-hmm. just throwing him in there at random times cracked me up. We need more rowing in life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do a fast five. I ask you questions and you answer off the top of oh. your head. Okay. Okay. What is your favorite meal? Food. <laughs> okay. Well, I just had this. I, I am I a really good Thai curry Ooh. is just everything. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I'm on the hunt for that always everywhere. Um, sorry, I got stuck on that thinking about it. And, <laughs> and you're like, I'll be back. I'm gonna. Go yeah. Curry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just pause there for a minute and think on that. So my yeah. next question, I think I already know the answer to this one, though. Where do you love to be most in the world? Yes, it's probably a tie between Oxford and Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Last book you read and loved? Okay, I'm going to take the books that I that I narrated out of the equation because that's not fair. So this is just going to be books that I, I've read for pleasure. Okay. And I would have to say 
Taylor Jenkins reads uh, mm. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Mm-hmm. Somebody just told me, Catherine McKenzie, who's a wonderful author, just told me that she read My Oxford Year and it made her cry on a plane. <laughs> and I was like, the last time I cried on a plane was that was Seven Husbands. And okay. I mean, it was it was ugly. The stewardess was like, are you OK? Uh, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> did someone die? I was like, yes, someone died. But in the book. Oh, oh. so that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Would you rather have invisibility or super strength? Invisibility, um, because I think any former actor would say invisibility. Mm-hmm. Who is your celebrity crush? I'm so bad at this. I think part of the problem is that I just don't see them as celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- right now, oh god, <laughs> this is this is terrible. I don't have. Um, who was I just, I was looking at somebody the other day. <laughs> this is why I'm bad at this. Who's yours? Oh, yeah. I'm bad at this too. Tell baby. Oh, yeah. My husband's here. <laughs> I don't have one. I don't, this is the problem. <laughs> like, I, I don't. Um, Do you have a favorite book boyfriend because I would have more success with that probably oh there we go let's do that um yes I will always probably go to Wentworth and Persuasion oh yes I that is that is a good man yeah yeah I also loved I loved Will Trainer in uh, Me Before You he was great yeah yeah I love Jamie in Outlander oh yes sure he's a good one you always wonder with something like that though you're you're always like do I how problematic would somebody with perspectives 250 years removed from mine be? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. I think part of what I did love about him is how old-fashioned he is. The chivalry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As with persuasion, I guess, too, probably. Absolutely. Well, are there any Absolutely. books that we need to listen to because you do love them and narrate them? Oh, sure. Right now... There's a lot of people listening to The Great Alone. Okay. It's incredible. Educated by Tara Westover is amazing. Okay. I didn't do this one, but Robin Lee wrote The Idea of You, which is a fantastic yes. novel. And she did her own audiobook. I just was with her at a retreat a couple weeks ago. Oh. She's a sweetheart. Oh, she's wonderful. Yeah. She's a friend and um, another actor turned writer. And she did her own audiobook. And I would. I'm, I would highly recommend that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should sing a song to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> Just a song? Any, well, any song? I mean, if you have something in mind, we could totally do whatever you want. Do you know Black Velvet? Yes. That's a good karaoke song. <laughs> How does it start? So wait, Mississippi in the middle of a dry spell. Mm-hmm. Um, Mama's baby. Okay. Black velvet, that's the little boy smile. That's it. Sorry, start over. I should pull up the lyrics. I'm pulling up the lyrics because I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. I had to too because it's been forever. Okay, right. So, Mississippi in the middle of the dry spell. Jimmy Rogers on the victual up high. Mama's dancing with baby on her shoulder. The sun sun is setting like molasses in the sky. The boy could sing, knew how to move, everything, always wanting more, he'd leave you longing for, black velvet and that little boy's smile, black velvet and that slow southern style, 
A new religion that'll bring you to your knees. Black velvet, if you please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. That's a good song. Now I'm going to go listen to Black that Velvet. sounds like a plan. I think I will, too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this with me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure to kind of sort of meet you. Yes, good to kind of sort of meet you, too. Have a good day. Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye. Isn't she great? If you've enjoyed this podcast like I have, please share with your friends. Leave a review on iTunes. Comment on my website. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.